You're listening to All the War They Want, a podcast on cyber warfare, business, and life. Welcome to the special episode of Building Resiliency in Times of Crisis. With me, as always, is Jeff Engel. Jeff, how do you view Ukraine, Russia as a special ops veteran? So there, there are these things called the uh, the soft truths. It's essentially sayings um, that provide guidance and define some of the ways that we, uh, you know, special operators view the world. Um, the first one is humans are more important than hardware. And uh, navigating through a situation like this, there's no way that you've perfectly architected in you know, your technology environment to be able to be resilient against, you know, advanced adversaries that, that are going full, you know, scale cyber warfare um, against critical infrastructure sectors. Uh, the one that's that's really, I think, the most key of the five soft truths, you know, in, in this particular situation, is that you cannot build a capability after an emergency occurs. So the you know the topic of the, of this episode is you know building resiliency in times of crisis. You know, we are we are now in that time of crisis. We are in you know a cyber war. We have been in. A state of of cyber war without the uh, kinetic uh, connectivity in the way that it is today for for quite a long time, and I think there's there's now a realization that this is this has become part of you know both hybrid and conventional warfare, and, and I'm I'm seeing this play out, and really it's you know somebody who's been thinking about these scenarios and talking about it, and you know, and building capabilities to be able to protect, detect, and respond to this type of, of event. Yeah, I see it as it's, you know, it's like the rest of the world opening their eyes when you've been staring at something for a very long time. But, you know, this hopefully it becomes a, a call to action, a realization that critical infrastructure sectors and the people operating them. Um, and, and for those of you, you who haven't listened in or, um, don't know critical infrastructure sectors is you know you think when you say that it's you know dams and bridges um, but really there there are many sectors the defense industrial base healthcare financial services energy you know oil and gas you know critical manufacturing really there's a a broad you know number of sectors that um, DHS CISA defines and then there are uh, even more national critical functions that um, that enable our way of life. So when I say critical infrastructure, I really mean you know many different functions and and sectors uh, that enable you know everything from trash to be collected to you know clean food to be on the shelves of the grocery store. So all of that in, in aggregate, you know, those are are now actively being attacked. You know, we're seeing a, a great deal of of attacks taking place you know from Russia to the Ukraine, uh, along with proxies. And the threat of those attacks here within the U.S. impacting our ability to respond. So it is a much bigger problem, and we are at war. Um, we have been at war for you know for quite some time, and it's the the low intensity and the lack of kinetic activity. I think that have never really triggered people to realize that and wake up. We are you know in this state of of constant warfare. So I view this this crisis as you know it's it's tragic, but it is the tragic realization of something that was inevitable. Um, so hopefully everybody wakes up and and realizes that this is not a a singular event, but it is a you know, fundamental shift in the way that we need to go and protect you know those sectors that are critical to our way of life, protect our our homeland, and ultimately have the capacity to project power you know and support our friends and allies globally. 
So from your line of work and obviously your background, you're pretty heavily invested in this. I assume you're tracking it um, nonstop. So what are we seeing out there? Can you put that in layman's terms for everybody listening? Yeah, we've uh, we've seen kind of a an, an aggregation of you know non-state actors or quasi-state actor proxies. Um, we've seen uh, persistent attacks against um, Ukrainian critical infrastructure and preliminary, what I call, you know, really operational preparation of the environments. You know, it's kind of an, you know, a, a, a similar concept that's used in military and special operations, but I've kind of adapted a lot of those things to, um, to this sector. But, you know, the colonial pipeline attack and the ransomware there is a little bit of a, a shot across the bow that if we can, you know, if we can um, encrypt and ultimately ransom your data, we can encrypt and destroy your data. We can impact your operations, and so it's a, you know, basically a flexing of muscle that you know that that occurred prior uh, to the 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 more overt hostilities. You know, in the lead up to the attack, a lot of uh, you know attacks on those those critical sectors, particularly around the control of information, um, and eventually you know uh, access to the internet, both inside of Russia and inside of Ukraine. And now we're starting to see more and more um, across the across Europe, as more lethal aid is being provided to um, you know to the Ukrainian uh, resistance. So I think we're 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 I think twelve or thirteen days in as we're recording this um, to this crisis, and I what you know I anticipate that we're going to see um, those attacks ramp up as we see more you know lethal aid being provided to the Ukrainian resistance you know and it, and it's not just government targets it's really across across all of those sectors that enable way of life both in Europe and in the US and, and around the globe right so when you're looking at the US specifically how does this impact our company and other companies like this so we are within our critical infrastructure sectors we we you know, we're uh, our customer base, like our partners, you know, that are in the foxhole with us, they're all critical infrastructure uh, organizations. So for us, it's, you know, it's been, it's taken 24-7, 365 operations and, you know, made them even, even more focused. Um, we've, you know, been racking our brains and, and connecting with our customers and partners on, you know, what we can do now to, to take what we were providing previously and make it even better, um, monitoring the situation closely and adapting our our responses to everything from you know uh, patching schedules to enhanced monitoring um, to tabletop exercises to practice the plan and and test the ability to to deal with the, the types of threats we're seeing emerge. So it, it's really, you know, going from, you know, DEFCON 2, uh, you know, to an even higher level of alert, you know, for an organization that's constantly thinking about threats and their emergence. It's just taking the um, the potential intention of those threats and increased the, the likelihood of those sectors being targeted. So for working for you, you talk a lot about risk and operations. What exactly do you mean by that? Yeah, what I experienced... Um, being uh, an emergency manager, you know, for, and thinking about weapons of mass destruction, you know, and then and ultimately cyber, I've always you know looked at you know the the fire truck and 
you know, how high the ladder goes and seeing the connection between the, you know, the building codes and the locations of fire departments and fire hydrants. And I've, I've always, you know, seen um, a level of orchestration around that. So that's really, you know, connecting risk and operations. In cyber, those two things, you know, have been largely completely disconnected. You do a risk analysis, you do your GRC work, creates a document, sits on a shelf. You've got security engineers and analysts that think they know what the, the threat's going to do, um, that are tuning IOCs. And then you've got leadership that doesn't really see that their investments in those two things are being integrated in a way that's informing their decisions. So that lack of connectivity really diminishes the value of, of both. And it makes it to where you can't justify the investments in the right things. So that's what we focus on. How do you make sure that everything you're doing actually makes sense and addresses a real critical need? So I'm sure the situation is causing a lot of anxiety or even confusion um, in a lot of people around the globe, really. What can people do right now? Figure out what's important to you, right? It's prioritize. And you're like, all right, well, how do you do that? I'm not suggesting you use this technique, but it'll work. If you've got a list of systems that support your business, take the list of systems and every now and then walk into your CEO's office and say, hey, we had a ransomware event on this system and see how they respond. You will definitely see what's important to the business if you do that. Um, that technique will work. Probably not going to get you promoted. Right? <laughs> um, but if in the absence of that, actually having a conversation of the what ifs around the the systems and processes and and assets that you have in the organization uh, with the the ultimately the the, bus the business decision makers, because if you don't have that conversation with them, every system is the most valuable to that system owner, and you really need to understand if you have ten things and you have you know ten dollars. Do you give each one of those one dollar, or do you give nine to one of those things and split, you know, the the remaining dollar across the rest of them? What you realize is most things can be done manually uh, if you have an understanding of how that system works. You can pay your employees manually if you have a list of employees and you know what their compensation is outside of the, you know, your um, HRS. You, you know can communicate through other means than email, right? I don't, and, you know, recommend homing pigeons and, you know, you know, handwriting letters. But if that system were compromised and you have an alternate source of communication, you're still going to be able to survive it. But if you have something that's so mission critical that if it goes down, your business fails, you need to do everything you can to protect, detect, and respond to threats in a different way for that system than you do for everything else. So the one thing that everybody needs to do is actually go through and prioritize. If you haven't prioritized, then nothing is important. Right? Uh, and there's no way you can afford to protect everything at the highest level of security. It just isn't feasible. So what are you, Conquest Cyber, um, doing for your customers and prospects right now? I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that are hectic reaching out, trying to figure out what they can do in this time of crisis. Sure. I mean, we're... Over-communicating. I mean, this is a medium for us to do that as well. Um, Over-communicating with them. What are we seeing? What are we doing about it? You know, what do they need to do? You know, where we're at in relation to where we need to be. 
and doing that on a daily basis. You know, I'd um, instituted, you know, seven day a week, you know, check-in calls with the leadership team across the entirety of the organization so we know what we're seeing from a threat actor perspective in the wild. You know, we're, you know, I obviously doing the the enhanced patching around the, the uh, vulnerabilities that we're seeing that are being publicly exploited. We've got the indicators of compromise being programmed in and pushed across our customer base um, to ensure that we're detecting those things early. And then we're, you know, we're doing the other three Ps, right? I talked about prioritize, but the, the other three Ps that are, you know, immediately following that are you need to patch the, the critical assets. You, you need to patch those critical assets, not on a traditional patching schedule or hope that you get to 97% of those. You need to patch them, right? You need to plan for that, that scenario that no matter how good you are, eventually, you know, if they're, if you're being specifically targeted, you're going to get compromised. So you need to plan for that compromise to be able to detect, you know, that early respond to it and recover from it. And then you need to practice, right? Any, any document that you have that says you're going to do something is worth, um, you know, a fraction of a penny until you put that into practice and you test it. And if it says that you're going to cut over from this system to that system and that particular type of event, see if you can do it. Um, and then see if you can do it under duress because if you can't, then you need to work on that. So it's prioritize, patch the important things, plan, you know, for eventual compromise. And ultimately you got to practice everything. And right now, that's how you build resiliency in time of crisis. You don't freak out and work on PowerPoint presentations right now to make sure you're communicating all the good stuff you're doing. Bring those people in that are asking for that reporting and get them in, involved in the process of planning and practicing for the you know the eventual uh, compromise or breach or negative events uh, to occur. Because they're the ones, if they're asking for that data, they're probably role players in your response and recovery efforts in ways that they never thought that they were or never anticipated being um, before we see you know, tanks rolling across the Ukrainian border. Awesome. Well, thank you, Jeff. I appreciate your time and your insights in building resiliency in a time of crisis. Thank you, everyone. Cheers. My pleasure. Cheers. Look forward to the next time. <laughs>